Thank you, Pam. A football team was on their own two-yard line. The starting quarterback had gotten hurt. The second-string quarterback was sick and was not there, leaving only the third-string quarterback. He was utilized to punt the ball. But the coach came over to him and he said, Son, I'm going to have to put you in the game. He said, I want you to look at me. This is critical. He said, All I want you to do is to get the ball and hand it off to the fullback three times to get us a little bit of room to punt the ball and then take the ball and punt it. He said, All right, coach. He said, Now, did you hear what I said? This is very important. Did you hear? He said, Yes, sir, I did. He said, all right, now you go in and do that. Well, he handed the ball off to the fullback, and there was an opening he ran for 30 yards. And then the ball was snapped to the quarterback again. He handed it to the fullback, and he ran for 15 more yards. The ball was snapped to him again. He found another hole, and he ran all the way down to the 15-yard line. And then the ball was snapped to him, and he stepped back and punted the ball. The coach called a timeout. He said, what in the world is wrong with you? What were you thinking? And he said, I was thinking what a dumb coach we have. (laughs) Well, you have heard the Easter story many times. But maybe you haven't gotten all the message that God has for you. Now, I know that there are some things that we learn later in life. And perhaps this is the time that you are going to learn what God wants you to learn about the resurrection. Bill Cosby wrote a book about fatherhood. And he said in that book that the first parent was God and the first children were Adam and Eve. He said that the Lord put his children in the Garden of Eden and said to them, Now you have the run of the place. You can do whatever you want to do, just have a good time, but there is one forbidden fruit, don't eat of it. And of course, Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit. And then the Lord came to them and said, why did you do that? And Adam said, I don't know. And Eve said, I don't know why we did it. And then Cosby wrote, God said you can't live in the garden anymore. And he pronounced a curse. Be fruitful and multiply. (laughs) They didn't realize it just then, but kids were a part of the curse. God was saying, I'll show you what it's like to have kids who eat forbidden fruit. I'm going to give you kids too. Well, there are some things that we learn later in life, and one of the things we learn is what it means to be a parent when we become a parent. And I believe that perhaps for some of you today, it could be that the, this is that later time in life for you that God wants you to learn the message of Easter. There are some things that we simply do not understand, and that's especially true concerning God's plan of redemption. In fact, the Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 2.8, The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Isn't that interesting? 
They did not understand it, or they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Well, that means then that had Pilate understood who Jesus was, he would not have given him over to be crucified. Had Caiaphas, the high priest, understood that this was the promised Messiah, then he would not have agreed to his crucifixion. Had the Sanhedrin understood that this was the Lord God's provision for sin, they would not have allowed Jesus to be crucified. And had the Roman soldiers understood, they would not have nailed Jesus to the cross. There are some things that we don't understand, and certainly that's true concerning God's plan of redemption. There are some things we do not properly value. The story is told of Alexander the Great who conquered Persia. After doing so, he allowed his soldiers to loot the cities, and one of his soldiers found a, a beautiful leather bag that was filled with the crown jewels of Persia. Not knowing what they were, not understanding their value, he dumped them out and kept the leather bag. You know what? A lot of us come to Easter holding on to our leather bag while we dump out those things that are really precious. Some of us come holding the bag of pleasure while we give up our health. Some come holding on to the bag of lust while we dump out the precious jewel of our spouse. Some of us come holding a bag of money and we give up our family, our friends, and those things that are important. Folks, what I want us to do today, just for a few moments, is to be aware of what God wants to teach us as we celebrate the resurrection. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse number 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I was always beholding the Lord in my presence, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will abide in hope, because thou wilt not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow thy Holy One to undergo decay. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life that will make me full of gladness with thy presence." As we talk about the awareness of Easter, what it means, first of all, we need to be aware of sin and the price that was paid for it. La ladies and gentlemen, sin is a tragedy 
because of its cost. Do you ever think about what our sin costs? First of all, it cost God His only Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. I can't imagine that. That God loves me so much, that He loves you so much, that He gave His Son that we might be saved. You see, the tragedy of sin is that it cost. It cost God. It cost Jesus. It cost Jesus His life. It cost Him His relationship to the Father. He was separated from the Father. There on the cross He cried out, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? It also cost us. I want you to understand today and be aware today that sin is a tragedy because of its cost. You know what it does? It costs us blindness. It causes blindness within us. I was talking with a friend of mine this past week who had just gotten out of the hospital. And he was telling me how good God had been to him. He had had a a procedure and how good God had been. He said, Wendell, God has been so good to me. He said, I cannot imagine someone going through life without committing their life to God. He said, and Wendell, the, the church, the people of God, they surrounded me, they prayed for me, they lifted me up, they encouraged me during that time. He said, I can't imagine going through life without the people of God, without the family of God. He said, I don't understand. Why is it that some people choose to go through life without God and without the people of God? And I said, Earl, I, I, I don't know. I can only answer that by saying that the Bible says that we are blinded by sin, that Satan blinds us. In fact, the Scripture says in 1 John 2, the darkness has blinded his eyes. And folks, the reason some of you can come and hear the message about God's love and the sacrifice that Christ made for you and then go away and be untouched by it when God only loves you, the reason that you can go away without being touched is because of the blindness that comes from Satan. It costs us. You see, sin costs us. We are blinded by sin, and then we become tolerant of sin. Steve Garvey was a professional baseball player. A few years ago, there was an article written after his retirement. He was getting a divorce from his first wife, about to marry his second wife, and two other women came out suing him for child support because he had impregnated these two women during that time. And Garvey said, I will live up to my moral responsibilities. I take them seriously because I am a Christian. Folks, that's what happens to us. That's not taking a relationship to Christ seriously. You see, whenever we allow sin in our life, it blinds us of sin. And then we become tolerant of sin. And the Bible says that we will give an account for our sin. The Scripture says that our sin is going to be revealed, that our sin is is going to be made known. It says in Numbers 32, uh, verse 23, But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. You see, the Scripture tells us that our sin is going to be exposed, and we are going to give an account, and God will judge us. The Bible says in Romans 14, 10, For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. What I want you to understand today, what I want you to hear today, what I want you to learn today and be aware of today, 
is the tragedy of sin. Sin is tragic and we will give an account for it. Another thing is, I want you to be aware of the sacrifice made for our sin. Now, we don't understand much about sacrifice because we don't sacrifice. Donald Trump said life is a game and the ultimate scoreboard is money. And uh, that's pretty well the way we go through life. We think that the goal of life is money. It's the things that we accumulate. So we know little about it about sacrifice, and yet the Bible tells us that Jesus loved you so much that he sacrificed his life that we might have victory over sin because he bore our sin. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, 4, Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Do you know that was written some 700 years before Jesus was born? The Bible says that this Messiah is going to come, and when He comes, He will bear your sins and my sins. The Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians 2.14, Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, and which was hostile to us, And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that all of my sins and all of your sins were nailed to the cross of Jesus. He gave his life. He sacrificed his life as he bore our sins and paid our debt. You know what? When Jesus died on the cross, he became a substitute for me. He became a substitute for you. In the Old Testament, there was the scapegoat. And what would happen when the goat was brought to the priest is that the priest would take his hands and lay on the head of the goat. And that symbolized that the sins of the people were placed on the goat. And then the goat was led out into the wilderness, carrying their sins away. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus became a scapegoat for us. He took our sins upon himself to carry them away. And the Bible says that he is our advocate. John wrote, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, what does that mean? Vine said it was used in a court of justice to denote a legal assistant. Counsel for the defense, an advocate then, generally one who pleads another's cause. Do you understand when the Bible says that Jesus is your advocate, when we trust Christ, he begins to plead our case for us? He is our advocate. The Bible says that he is our propitiation. John says, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Bynes comments on this. He himself, through the expiatory sacrifice of his death, is the personal means by whom God shows mercy to the sinner who believes on Christ as the one thus provided. That provision is made for the whole world so that no one is by divine predetermination excluded from the scope of God's mercy. Jesus sacrificed his life to give us victory over sin. He sacrificed his life to give us victory over death. And that's what, that, that's what Easter is. It is a, a reminder of his death and his resurrection. But you might ask the question today, is there really any evidence of his resurrection? That's a miraculous prospect. 
Is there any evidence of his resurrection? The best explanation of the empty tomb is the resurrection of Jesus. There's there's really not another explanation that will answer the question. There are a lot of theories that have come forth, but they all can be easily shot down. The best explanation of of the empty tomb is the resurrection of Christ. And then there were eyewitnesses, in fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You can go and read it. But that was the question about the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul is writing and he says there are 500 most who, who are still alive who saw the resurrected Lord. 500 witnesses who saw the resurrected Lord. You know, you could be the sorriest attorney in Columbia and win a case with 500 eyewitnesses. 500. Paul says, now, they're still alive. You can go and talk with them. And, and then how do you explain the changed disciples? I look at the disciples before the resurrection, and they were fearful. They were timid. And then these men were changed after the resurrection. They went out to turn the world upside down for Jesus. This is a different group of men. What happened to them? Because they believed and knew the resurrected Christ. And that's what we celebrate at Easter, that Jesus Christ is alive, and because He lives, then we live. We sang that a while ago, because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Folks, that's what it is. Jesus is alive, and because He is alive, then we are promised life. Easter makes us aware of His sacrifice, that He sacrificed His life that we might have life. And then Easter makes us aware of His provision. He provides for our grief. When our loved ones die, we grieve, whether one is a Christian or not. Our loved ones die, we grieve. When Lazarus died, Mary and Martha grieved. Their hearts were broken. And so the Bible says that many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. There are many of you who understand this. In fact, just this week, we, it's, just about every week, we have some of our members who, who die. And our hearts are grieved. But the thing is, is that Jesus gives us victory over grief. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 13. Paul said, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. You see, he did not say that we do not grieve, but he says that we do not grieve as those who have no hope. We as believers have hope because of the resurrection. And though our hearts are grieved when our loved ones die, we nevertheless have hope because Jesus conquered death. He provides for our grief. He provides for our despair. The disciples were despairing when Jesus died. They they had left everything to follow Jesus. And now then Jesus was nailed to a cross. And they were despairing, but he lifts us from despair. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing. He gives us victory over death. He gives us victory over the grief of death. He gives us victory over our despair. He provides for our doubt. Thomas doubted. You know the story about Thomas in John 20, 25. 
Thomas said, unless I shall see in his hands the imprint of nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. You see, Jesus had appeared to the disciples, but Thomas was not with them. And so when they came back saying to Thomas, Thomas, we've seen the Lord and he's alive. Thomas said, I don't believe that. I saw him die. I, I, I don't believe that. I would not believe that unless I took my finger and put in the nail prints of his hands until I took my hand and thrust it into his side. He said, I will not believe. I don't know how you respond to that. I'm not hard on Thomas because I don't think I would have been any different. We also struggle with doubt, do we not? We pray, but then we doubt as to whether or not God hears our prayers. Don't we? We pray, the Bible tells us to pray, and we've been taught to pray, and we pray. But does He really hear? Any possibility that He might answer? So we doubt. We doubt our ability. God wants to use us. He has chosen to use people to do His work. But I don't know that I can do it. See, that was Moses. Whenever God called Moses and said, Moses, I I want you to lead my people. He says, God, I, I can't speak. Why should Pharaoh listen to anything I said? That was Jeremiah when God said, I want you to be my prophet. Jeremiah's reply was, Lord, I'm young and inexperienced. Why should anybody pay any attention to me? And he doubted his ability. And I would imagine today there are some of you that that God has placed a a, a burden on your heart, a passion on your heart about serving him in some way, but you doubt your ability. We doubt his presence. He's promised to be with us. He said, I'll never leave you even to the end of the age. He's promised to be with us, but we doubt his presence. But, you know, the Lord is gracious. The Lord is so gracious. Sometimes we like to hammer those people who doubt, but that's not what God does. He conquers our doubt. Even though we go through those times of doubt, He conquers our doubt, and He did with Thomas in John chapter 20, verse 27. Jesus said to Thomas, reach here your finger and see my hands, and reach here your hand and put it into my side, and be not unbelieving, but believing. That... That means so much to me. Because Thomas said, I will not believe. He doubted. And the Lord appeared to him and he says, Thomas, look. Folks, that's the way the Lord deals with us. Even if you you struggle with doubts and all those things, the Lord will reveal his truth to you if you will allow him to do so. He provides for our doubts. He provides for our guilt. I look at David who who committed adultery and, and God forgave him and used him. I look at Simon Peter who denied that he knew who Jesus was and God forgave him and used him. And he does the same with us. Because the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Are you living your life with the burden of sin? You have these sins in your life that are unresolved. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Easter makes us aware of His provision. And then Easter makes us aware of the joy that is ours in Him. 
I read about a first-time visitor to the Grand Canyon. I don't know if you've been there, but it's pretty impressive. And he stood there and looked at this great chasm. And he said, wow, something happened there. Well, when I think about the cemetery, that basically is my response. Wow, something happened there. And because the Lord came forth from the grave and because the Lord is alive, then He encourages us and gives us great joy in Him. If you've read the story of the, of the disciples who were on the, on the way to Emmaus, there were two of them walking along on the way to Emmaus. And Jesus came up to them. At first they didn't recognize who He was. And then He revealed Himself to them that He was indeed alive. And so then they turned around and go back to the other disciples in Jerusalem and said, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. I I think about the joy that must have been in their hearts when they said, The Lord has really risen. He's really alive. He's really alive. And their hearts were filled with joy. I think about Simon Peter who denied the Lord, said that he didn't know who he was. But then he spent the rest of his life telling people about Jesus, that he's really risen. He's really risen and he loves you. Folks, there's joy when we experience Jesus. I want some of you especially to know that because the truth of the matter is, probably some of you... Maybe you were raised in church and you've gotten out of church and so forth because of various things that happened in the church. Friend, listen. If you know Jesus, there's joy. Now, you can be a Baptist and not have much joy. I I know some Baptists look like they've been sucking on sour pickles. I mean, they just, all of life is just a disaster. And it ain't going to get no better. But if you know Jesus, there's joy in your heart. I am simply sometimes overcome with the joy of Christ. There's joy in Jesus. Whether resurrection makes us aware, aware of sin, that we are sinners. And the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. It makes us aware of the sacrifice that he paid that we might be forgiven. It makes us aware of His provision that He provides abundantly, exceedingly above anything that we can ask or think. It makes us aware of His joy, the joy in Christ. A friend of mine was not a Christian, a businessman in Charleston. I'd prayed for him for two years. Prayed that God would save him. I witnessed to him, talked to him about the Lord. He just never would trust the Lord. He went to Israel with us one year. and I'll never forget because we were at the empty tomb, the garden tomb. Standing there in that place believed to be the place where Jesus was buried. He came over to me. Tears in his eyes. And he said, Wendell, I'm ready to give my heart to Jesus. And we knelt there by the empty tomb and prayed. 
and he received Christ. He came back to South Carolina, was baptized. Now he's a member of First Baptist Church in Charleston. All because of the risen Savior. My friend, I don't know why you're here today. Maybe you always go to church every Sunday. Maybe we're here with family. Maybe like I used to be, it's Easter and I went once a year. Whether I needed to go or not, I went once a year. And so I just happened to be there. Maybe that's you. But I want you to know that Jesus Christ is the answer to the longing of your heart. And he'll fulfill and do abundantly above anything you can imagine and change your life. And you become a child of God if you allow him to. Sins washed away. A relationship to God. Born again by the grace of God. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? If you do not, I pray today that you will trust Him. Let Him be your Lord and Savior. Our Father in God, we come to a time of invitation and ask, Lord, that you speak to the hearts of people. Thank you for your great love and your generosity and your graciousness to us. And Lord, I pray today for those who are struggling, those who doubt, Whatever it is, Father, I pray today that they might see in you the Lord God, in whose name I pray. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation. The choir's going to sing. But listen to me for just a moment. I know you're ready to get to lunch. We're going to be out of here in about three or four minutes. But this is really an important time. If you've never invited Christ into your heart, would you today? We'll have staff members here to pray with you. You might have questions. I don't know, but I'd like to talk with someone. Then you come. It might be that you, that God has spoken to your heart about joining this church. Our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you a part of this family. You come. Whatever it is God's speaking to your heart about, this is the important time. Don't miss it. What's God saying to you? Don't punt the ball. What's God saying to you? Let's stand together as we stand. The choir sings as they sing, you come, I'll reach you should you.